This is Colin Shaw. Before we start the show today, I wanted to tell you about a free report that you can download. At the end of the show, I'm going to give you a link where you'll be able to download a quick self-assessment that will benchmark you against hundreds of organizations who have embarked upon the journey of improving their customer experience using behavioral economics and psychology. And the best bit is it's free. So just stay tuned to after the show and I'll give you the URL. Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. If you thought of service as a product, it'd probably be like Cracker Jacks. You know, we, we know there's going to be a prize inside. We just don't know what it's going to be. So it goes back to our old friend reference points. What were people expecting? And then can we violate those expectations? Can we give them something different from their reference points in a positive direction? When you're at Disney, you're within the story, aren't you? So the surprises have to be part of the context of the story. So today we have with us Chip Bell. Chip helps many Fortune 100 companies implement innovative customer-centric strategies, and he's considered a world-renowned authority on customer loyalty and service innovation. Chip, like my good self, has written hundreds, literally, of columns for many businesses and blogs. And he also has been interviewed a number of times on TV. So we, Ryan and I thought it would be a great opportunity to get Chip on board and to talk about innovative customer service. So welcome, Chip. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Ryan. This is going to be exciting. We're happy to have you. Looking forward to it. So here we are at the start of the year, and tell us a bit about innovative customer service. What does that mean? Let's have a, just a chat about that whole subject. Absolutely. Well, I believe that today more and more customers don't talk or tweet about good service. They talk and tweet about unique service. Is it different? Is it unique? Is it unusual? And innovative service is creating experiences that are not just value-added. They're value-unique, meaning value-added is taking what your customer expects and adding more. That's a gesture of generosity, hopefully exceeding the customer's expectations, as opposed to value-unique, which is an experience that's ingenious, it's creative, it's different, it's unexpected. It's not just linear. It focuses on a whole different turn. And again, my goal is not to make your customer go, wow, it's to make the customer go, whoa, I didn't expect that. And so no. if you thought of service as a product, it'd probably be like Cracker Jacks. You know, we, right. we know there's going to be a prize inside. We just don't know what it's going to be. So it's sort of like that. And I work with organizations first around how they think through the lens of that ingenious, creative, inventive service. But more than that, how do you create a culture that enables people on the front lines who are face-to-face with customers to deliver that kind of unexpected customer surprise? 
So it's the element of surprise. It's not just doing something that you would expect well. It's actually doing something different. Is that right? Exactly. It's unique. It's unexpected. And my belief is there's always a limit to generosity, but there's no limit to ingenuity. I mean, if I think about what happens is when you exceed the customer's expectation in a linear fashion, what happens is their expectations go up with that. So I'm a frequent flyer and they upgrade me to first class. What do you think I'm going to expect the next time? Or I'm a frequent guest at the hotel. They put me on the fancy floor on the concierge level. What am I going to expect next time? And sooner or later, you run out of room. You run out of options. And so, but again, there's no limit to that ingenious kind of unexpected response. You can create those all day long. And so it's about how do you create that? And more importantly, how do you create a culture that customer loyalty customer? It changes to me the whole look at what does customer loyalty mean? And we might talk a bit about what that means at its pinnacle level. Sure. You want to go there? So let me ask you another question before we go there, because I think that would be definitely a good place to go. But can you give us an example then of something that is then different? and that you weren't expecting so people can get their heads around it? Oh, let me give you two. My wife has a new car, traded in her old car, and got a new car. And a week after she had her new car, she turned on the radio for the very first time and discovered they had programmed in her radio stations from her trade-in. Wow. Now, what do you think she talks about? The car or the radio? Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, the radio. And I think about how much she spent for that car. But there's something that fulfills to me the criteria. One, it's unexpected. Two, it's simple. It's not red carpets and champagne. And three, it fits. It's appropriate to that particular setting. And so a second one was uh, very quick. And uh, I'll show you the difference. I'll show you the difference in value-added, value-unique. I was doing a keynote, and I stayed at a hotel in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, park in. I was going to have breakfast off the lobby at their little restaurant. And the woman who waited on me was terrific, wonderful, great customer service, very attentive. But when I got ready to, she brought me my check. She brought me a go cup of coffee fixed just the way I like it. Okay. Now that's value added. I've had that happen before. But when I thanked her for it, she said, it's our gift to you. Now, just that expression right there changed an experience from being value-added to value-unique. I've never had someone say, this coffee is our gift to you. So it's simple, but it causes the customer to have a story they're eager to share. So that's, to me, the most important feature of its byproduct, of its outcome, of its result, is I become an advocate through the stories I tell So if we now go back to the question of culture, because I, like you, have worked with many organizations where they seem to have blinders on. You know, they just don't seem to have the ability to think outside the square and may do may aspire to do lots of added value pieces, as you're describing, but certainly struggle to think about how do we do something that's really different. So how do you go about doing that? I think, first of all, we all know people in the senior level love metrics. And I'd say, why don't you take an area that is important to you and try it, test it, see the results. So I help them set up pilots because nothing more compelling than we tried it over here, the old control and experimental group. 
And look what more dramatic results they had at this branch that applied that than this branch that just gave good service. So that's the way, to me, the most effective proof methods, as opposed to looking at sort of let's do surveys or that kind of thing, is to say, so that's one. I think the other thing that continually drives a lot of senior leaders in the companies I work with, they worry about quarter to quarter. They worry about, which they should, you see how different a company that is private goes about doing this versus one that's public and their willingness to try it be experimental. I also, when I work with an organization, talk about how disruptors in the marketplace are different than people who are not and what kind of view of the world, orientation, philosophy does it need to become more of a disruptor, not just a me too or after the fact, and what does that gain you in lots of different ways. So I think providing case examples, providing pilots, those are the sort of the ways in which you help leaders, one, recognize there's worth in it. Here's another thing. My good friend who wrote The Effortless Economy was correct in his view that if you looked at effort instead of value added, that you spend your money on eliminating effort. The problem with Matt Dixon's research is that he focused on value added, not value unique. When you go about creating a very unique experience, the metrics are off the chart. And so beginning to give people ways to say, I don't want to just go be more generous. Let's look for inventive ways to deliver this experience and watch what happens. And that takes us back to having organizational leaders think differently about the power of what loyalty really means. Too often, they deem a loyal customer as a retained customer, customer retention. To me, that's not very sufficient. Or they say, well, what we think as a customer is loyal if they come back, if they spend more, if they trust us more, if they don't sue us as much. All of those are true. All of those are demonstrations and evidences of loyalty. But to me, the one that moves the needle is advocacy. And it's not advocacy in a recommendation way, like our good friend Fred Reichel and Bain with Net Promoter. Would you recommend to a family member or friend? That's not the goal for me, is to say, I sure would recommend that restaurant. What my goal is to say, let me tell you what happened to me. And so when they are willing to craft a story that illustrates an experience that's out of the box, that's unique and different, that's going to cause people to go, I can't wait to go there because Joe told me a story. That causes movement. So in the end of the day, to me, the question, would you recommend, that's not my objective. I want to get, did you recommend? You know, it's not intention, it's behavior. How do they act differently? I was working with a bank in Nicaragua that used Net Promoter, for example, and they asked the question, and they were so happy with their Net Promoter score was a at a 90, which means, you know, they were had huge numbers of promoters. And I said, well, let's run it again. Well, next time you run this thing, ask the question, did you recommend or have you recommended? And sure. all of a sudden, that 90% was down about 60. So you got 90% of customers saying they intend to do it, but you only 60% have actually done it, have actually yeah. recommended you. Why don't you focus on getting that number up? Because that's what will actually impact the bottom line, not intent, it's behavior. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's one of the things that we've talked about a lot on the podcast is the difference between what customers say and what customers do. So they may tell you that they would recommend you, but as you rightly say, that whether they do or not is a different kettle of fish. 
So isn't the challenge then, let me try and challenge this then. Oh, good. So, I like this. <laughs> I like challenge. <laughs> so isn't the challenge then that you provide a unique service and you manage to think of something that's unique and not value-added, but after you've provided it a couple of times, actually that then just becomes the norm. So it does clearly go back to going... So you need to constantly do that, which goes back to your point about it being something that needs to be inherent within the organization. Is that right? right? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. But you won't ever run out of cool ideas of what you could do. You won't ever run out of that. Sure. Sure. If you have people who are freed to be that way. So we can talk about that some too. They won't run out of ideas ever. Well, let, let me ask Ryan a question then. So Ryan, when we're talking about surprise, what's happening from a behavioral economic psychological perspective what's happening with the customer i guess this goes back to all about expectation and all that type of stuff yeah that's exactly it so it goes back to our old friend reference points what were people expecting and then can we violate those expectations can we give them something different from their reference points in a positive direction i mean chip i think what i find especially interesting about this approach is the point that colin just raised earlier so often firms are looking for solutions. What's the one thing that I need to do differently? Yeah. How do I change this process in one way? And you're talking about just a systematic shift in mindset, a completely different strategic approach. I'm interested in how you explain that, how you get people to get out of that single solution tunnel vision perspective that so many managers and firms are, are in. Yeah, I tell folks that I work with, senior leaders particularly, is when it comes to the kind of experiences you're creating, your goal is to not be more like Disney. Your goal is to be more like Cirque du Soleil. Right, and why? Well, if you've been to a Cirque du Soleil performance, it is filled with surprise, and it is provocative, it is unusual, it is different, it is multifaceted in terms of what it's done. It is sure. It is also based on, and I've done a lot of research around them, it's also done based on a much more intuitive model. I think that's something you all know something about. It's based yeah. on more of an intuitive model and not just an artistic model. Not just a Disney is an enacted picture that this is the picture of the perfect magic kingdom and we want to create our characters within it. Circuit de Soleil is always evolving. It's always changing before your very eyes. I interviewed a performer for Circuit de Soleil because I've been to a number of their performances. And I said, do you ever worry about falling? No, not really. But even if I did, what a way to go. And so (laughs) it's that kind of courage that cultures who are about inventive service foster. And so I think it unleashes a part of the mind of the employee, the frontline person that they normally don't use. And from that space comes, we could do this. Or what they learn to be more risk-taking in terms of how they even think about the customer. I, I like that example a lot because I, to give Disney credit, they are a very innovative, <clears throat> excuse me, a very innovative company. They are. But so much of the value of the experience is in its consistency and its nostalgia. You know, when I took my kids to Disney, it was to a large extent the same Disney world that I visited when I was a kid. And yet when you look at something like Cirque du Soleil, those consistent through line elements are very much embedded in this idea that it needs to constantly be 
surprising and delightful. Exactly. It's more like sci-fi than history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing I like about what you just said, Chip, is when you're at Disney, you're within the story, aren't you? So the surprises yes. have to be part of the context of the story yes. as opposed to doing something that's really outside, really some out-of-the-box thinking that is completely different and not within the constraints of the story. Right. And Cirque du Soleil, like Disney, it finds ways to include the audience, include the audience in a way they didn't expect. I'll give you a good example. One of their performances playing in Las Vegas is Beatles Love. There's a point, not to be a spoiler, but there is a point in the play in which there is a thin kind of cheesecloth kind of canvas that is in the center of, because this is a theater in the round kind of setting. I think they comes call out, it a scrim. I hate to uh, be yeah. the, uh, you know, the theatrical one amongst us. It's a, Ryan, exactly. no one likes to know it all, mate. It, it, let me it, just tell you yeah, that. I'm not exactly. here to be liked, Colin. I'm here to be <laughs> no, right. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, but at one point, in one point in the performance, they pull that cloth up over the entire audience all the way to the ceiling, and you can reach above you and touch it. It's that right. close. It is stunning. Then it disappears from the floor in the center, and it winds up in the back. But my point is, it's a kind of tacit connection that you totally don't expect. It fits, obviously, with what's going on on the stage. But nevertheless, it is that kind of, wow, I got to be a part of it, not just a spectator. Because I think if innovative service is spectator-like, it will fail one of the most important tests of an experiential kind of experience that people will talk about it. There needs to always be some element that is inclusive, not just something I observe. So it always has to have that feature. So let me ask you a question then that, that goes down a different track, or a similar track. But again, I was thinking about this concept of being within the story and within the box. And I guess the issue is when you're an employee and you're asked to do the same things and you're asked to say the same things, it becomes pretty soulless. And after a period of time, it must drive you around the bend, basically. If you're more Cirque du Soleil, then it becomes more engaging. So now we're into the whole subject of employee engagement. Yes. yes What's your yes. thoughts on that? Completely agree, especially when you are allowed to improvise like they are at Cirque du Soleil. Every performance is not exactly the same because the characters, there are certain things they do exactly alike because somebody would get killed if they didn't. But there are certain aspects about every performance that are improv. And so you know you have a chance to do things slightly different in the middle of that, so it's not scripted. Even Ritz-Carlton, who has obviously renowned for great customer service, sure. realized that the vernacular they were using, my pleasure, certainly was not only got old for the employee, for their guests, for, for the person who works for them, but also for the customer who constantly heard my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure, and said, stop with your my pleasure. And so they changed that standard from a script to a style. And so 
the style says we want to deliver an elegant, refined experience. So find the language in your own style that will reference that standard rather than a script. And so it's allowing people to improvise the way they deliver the experience and not be scripted. Sure. You're right. It takes the soul out. Yeah. No, makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I got a question. Um, go on then. Chip, you were very careful when you listed one of your examples earlier to say that these attempts to be innovative and to surprise and delight had to be appropriate to the firm, yes. appropriate to the context. Do you have any examples where this has gone wrong, where firms have tried to be innovative for the sake of being innovative, but have kind of ignored the other principles that go along with it? I'll give you a classic example. Nordstrom comes out with the idea of having a tuxedoed piano player playing a grand piano in their stores. And the goal of that was to create a perception of this is a classy place. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, lots and lots of organizations say, oh, there's the secret. There's the secret sauce. (laughs) Let's get a piano player and a grand piano. And put it, it in the piano it, it, all it, it, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's put it in the reception area of our car wash. And then we'll make <laughs> and so there again, it is sometimes it's a me too copy in that leads to I don't think that fit in a funeral home, what <laughs> might fit in the yeah. lobby of a bank. And sure. so I think it's being respectful of the customer and the kind of what they're there to achieve, what they're there to accomplish, what they're there to do that I think drives appropriateness. What will work in one setting may not necessarily work. So we are always using that as a test to say, is the customer going to find this so dissonant that it is not satisfying? Because I think a certain element of incongruity is whimsical, but too much is a dissonant experience and the brain goes, this doesn't work here. Mm -hmm. And so I need to always say, Let's lead with congruence and then take it off when it makes sense. So the flowers in the lobby of the hotel fit the hobby. The way the lobby smells needs to fit this hotel and not somebody else. The thread count in the sheet needs to fit this and not something else. What you'd expect in a McDonald's, you wouldn't expect in a five-star sit-down restaurant. And so we need to fit. And vice versa. Yeah, and vice versa. And so it is making sure that sense of appropriateness fit, I call it is expanded beyond just the obvious. It's the subtle as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. towards the end of this let me ask you the question we always ask at the end of these podcasts which is what is it that people should do so you're listening to this you're running a customer experience team something like that what should people do if i were a leader listening to this and i hope leaders are listening to this i would look at what are you doing to demonstrate total trust of your employees what are you doing that helps promote daily learning daily growth for your learning, because we know those two ingredients, trust, you know, sometimes we like to call it empowerment, but I don't like that word. Empowerment says you are empowered, meaning I can give you power. I think God gave us all the power any of us could use, 
the job of the leaders to release power. It is to unearth that and let that come through. And that experience of trust that says, I remember Nordstrom had as its rule, use your good judgment in all situations. There are no other rules. Well, it's that attitude that reflects trust, but it's also about growth because part of an innovative service environment is one that is perpetually learning, that values learning above all else. The other thing I would say is whether you call it purpose, mission, vision, I don't care, but whatever it is, is there something that represents a calling, a cause that's obvious and lived out in the way in which you lead your organization. Because we also know innovative organizations are grounded in a platform and a foundation of purpose and cause or whatever, and go by lots of labels. But there's something there that says there's a grander reason for being here than just getting a job done. Sure, sure. Good. Okay. Ryan, any thoughts? What would you suggest people do? To kind of reemphasize some of the wisdom that Chip had here, it's not about a single decision that you're going to make. It's about an entirely new approach through empowerment, through kind of an understanding of what drives customer delight and what your customer's expectations are. I loved the insights. They were great. Thanks, Chip. Good. My pleasure, Ryan. Thank you. I think the thing for me that stuck out is this bit about Disney and Cirque du Soleil. So it's not about within the constraints of the story or the constraints of what you're trying to do. It's about thinking outside the square but having to constantly think outside the square because there isn't any one answer. And if you did have one answer, then that would just become accepted as the norm within Mm. a period of time. So being able to absolutely pull that together and have a culture that is innovative and provides innovative service. So thanks very much, Chip. It's been really, really interesting, really very good. So thank you today. My pleasure. If people want to get hold of you, Chip, how should they get hold of you? At chipbell.com. That's my website. It's all my contact information is there on my website. They don't even have to fill out a form to reach me. Wonderful. <laughs> Good. That was thinking outside the square, wasn't it? <laughs> I, never, I mean, they can fill out a form if they want to be on a mailing list, but not to get a hold of me. Why would you set up a barrier that keeps people from accessing you? I never have understood the logic of that. Oh, you want Good. to contact me? Fill out a form. What? Yeah. <laughs> What business are you in? Oh, customer service. Help me. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Well made. Yeah, excellent. So thanks very much, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we look forward to talking to you next week on the Intuitive Customer Podcast. Thanks very much. This is Colin Shaw. I said I'd be back with you after the show with the URL for you to undertake the benchmarking of the free report on the intuitive customer. All you need to do is to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash assessment. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash assessment. Complete the assessment. You'll be measured against hundreds of other people that have completed it, and you'll be sent a report on how well you're doing. I hope that's useful to you. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.